Hello, everybody, and welcome to Reason Town episode 20. Today, we're going to give you a little mishmash of topics that we feel need treatment in the community, that we feel need improvement, and that we think need some discussion because there's confusion about them right now. This is Murphy Randall. I'm your co-host here with my other co-host. Jared Forsythe. And we really like Reason, and um, we use it a lot, but there are some things we wish it were better. Yeah, so maybe this is like the... Um, like reason under the covers or like, what would you call it? Like the, the kind of like sore right. spots. Yeah. Episode. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I've, I've been, on our knees. I've been writing a lot of rust recently um, and back and forth with reason. And I still, reason is still my favorite language, but there are some things in rust where I'm like, Oh, I wish we had this. And I likewise was doing some experimentation with TypeScript over the last month. And I love Reason. I'm, we're still using it as our primary language. But I was kind of like, oh, there are some things that <laughs> I wish that we had here. Yeah. So Jared and I have been talking for the past hour off mic about what we should talk about tonight. And we finally figured we should probably just talk about all these things yeah. uh, in a short abbreviated form. So this is kind of what we want to talk about tonight. Give you a little update, give you some news and exciting things, but then also talk about the places where we feel um, like our favorite tool is is lacking and needs improvement and see what, what can be done to help it out. So Jared, let's start out with some of your exciting release announcements. Yeah, so we haven't had an episode in a while. Um, since our last episode, I released Milk. Um, mm. <laughs> which uh, is a tool for your cereal, um, <laughs> your serialization. Oh, that's good. Yep. It, it's uh, thanks to somebody on Twitter that it has the name it does. I didn't even connect until now. Um, that's funny. Yep. I yep like that. That's what it's about. So um, Milk is a serialization generator um, with a, um, a focus on type migration, meaning you, are, um, you can use it to serialize your reason data types and you it also allows you to make changes to your types safely and with the security knowing you can you can deserialize previous versions of those types and it'll do the migration for you um so i use this in a bunch of different projects for um config files where i want users to be able to write their config files upgrade my you know whatever tool i'm making and have it still read the config files without having me to do um write a ton of boilerplate to you know keep around the previous types or whatever. Um, I also use this for data storage. Um, so I have a couple of projects where I'm writing to a database um, or you know just local storage for some things. And I don't want to be locked into a particular representation. Um, and I can, I can migrate the types with, um, or I, I can change the types with complete certainty that I'll be able to read the previous version that I have stored on disk. This is actually really cool for NoSQL databases because one of the complaints is that they don't, well, Mongo now enforces a schema that's supported. But like if your database that doesn't enforce a schema just lets you put stuff in there, one of the things you're worried about is that your data can take all kinds of shapes. Mm -hmm. But if you're using something like Milk, you can always pull out the data kind of expecting the latest shape and it will be translated into that shape for you and then persisted back in the newest shape. Exactly. So that's really cool. Gradual migration as a record is used. That's mm -hmm. pretty neat. Yeah. So that's that's the idea with Milk. Um, I still have um, some things I want to do with it. I'm hoping to uh, have a brainstorming session um, about how to make the ideal kind of server REST API serialization 
thing. If if you've seen um, Rust's rocket framework, um, it it'll just blow you away to see how concisely you you just write a function and it will do all the serialization for the for, for the parameters and stuff. Um, Sounds amazing. Yeah. Sounds ideal. That's that's what I'm hoping for. You know, on that topic. Let's get to your your next release in a second, but let me bump mine up a little bit because uh, I have been working for months on doing server code. No, uh, no, no, JS specifically. I should be care. I should qualify this because for those who are just coming to this community, it might be very confusing to hear um, what what server side code means. So there's OCaml native uh, companies like OneGraph are writing all of their servers in compiled OCaml code using Reason. That's not what I'm doing. I'm writing JavaScript code using BuckleScript, running it on Node.js. So right. those are two different options. So literally, I'm writing an express server, which is kind of like your boring old milk of potatoes, <laughs> meat and potatoes <laughs> server, um, but I'm using Reason. Uh, the problem is the express API is very much designed for not having types, static right, types. Right, right. It's very dynamic. Very, very dynamic, yes. And... I want more safety than that. So there's BS Express, which adds a typing layer on top of Express, but basically it just makes it so that you can use Express in an Express way uh, with some types around it. But right. when you're actually writing a web server, you want a lot more type safety about like, I want a user to authenticate and have that user be on the context so I can access them. Like there are a lot of nice things that you want that aren't available. Right. Well, I have written these tools and they've gone through various... Uh, changes we've been using them at day one for months now and and we've been testing them and I've gone through several major refactors and it's reached a point where I think it's it's ready to to see the world okay um, so I have a server library which I hope to release in the coming months it's actually the previous iteration has been released without fanfare um, and without documentation so I don't expect it to be used but um, and I'm still coming up with the name I was thinking reverb might be a cool name oh cool correct rest verbs sorry it's not GraphQL everybody but I um, like it but the idea being I'm giving you tools for using express as a framework great tools for um, setting up like authentication guards uh, mm. decoding and encode or decoding bodies, encoding responses, and especially some of the nice things that you need from a web framework that don't come standard in any that I know of, except something like Rails, are things like um, a, a solid story around how I should handle my my errors, right? How I should uh, encode responses, how I should decode bodies that are coming in, um, but really really uh, kind of a big deal for us is the logging story. Like we have a built-in logger. Right. And this built-in logger automatically attaches request IDs to your logs as well as uh, there is pretty a uh, way to easily add user IDs to your logs. These are important things for production support. Right. Um, We've talked about your uh, asynchronous logging um, uh, exploits. That's right. Um, on here before. So now it's it's baked into this solution. It's baked into the solution and... And those, a lot of those logging things I was talking about in the past have gone the way of the dinosaur because, and it's cleaned the code up quite a bit. Okay. Um, and so I'll, I'll talk about this sometime when I'm ready to release release it um, with, with fanfare. I don't know when I'm ever going to get the time to document it, but maybe just sure. a blog post or something will help. But I've really found these tools to be helpful. And so those are some things it comes with, but other things are um, a module for doing application config and handling environment variables, um, which isn't 
doesn't come standard in a lot of these, and also um, a SQL database interaction library. Okay. Um, that has some pretty solid types around cool. it. It's not so some libraries that I've used, especially in Scala, have tried really hard to make the type coverage comprehensive and and um, like perfect type coverage through your your middleware and like the way you transform your request as it's coming in. Okay. Um, and they took these very fancy type-based approaches. Mine's a very simple approach. It still is type safe, um, but it's just simple. It, it doesn't cool. use like, there's no dependency injection. Um, so I'm sure some there's people- There's no are, lenses. There are no lenses. Some <laughs> people are probably going to hate it, but it's very simple and it's fast. It's easy to understand and it gets the job done quickly. The database library is not type safe in the sense that I'm. Uh, you're not, you are going to be putting in like dealing with JS objects Sure. Putting them in and reading them out. But in all practicality, it's pretty good. You still get type safety everywhere else in your program. You still have to use decoders and encoders, uh, decoders when you're pulling stuff out from the database. So it's pretty type safe. Cool. Um, so I'm excited to give a preview of that. And that was way longer than I meant it to be. But the idea being that um, Milk kind of leads us in, into that concept. Right, good dovetail. Of, yeah. Of, how we're, how we're doing our decoding and encoding story. And so um, I'm, I'm sure that as Milk kind of develops its story around the web framer kind of approach, um, that we can work together on that uh, right. to see how, how those two things mesh. Because I'm not using it yet. I, f I felt like when I looked at it, it didn't quite fit the story that I was looking for right. on the server side. But I'm interested to see how those grow together. Cool. Yeah. Um, so you were talking about uh, interacting with JavaScript objects in... Uh, when you're when you're pulling stuff out of SQL, um, in my my latest art project is with with Rust um, doing some light simulation, and um, I got to kind of the the edges of where Rust was comfortable doing user interface stuff. It's really good for math and computation, but the the UI framework story is really really um, nascent, and um, so I was like, I know a good UI framework. I'll use Reason React. Um, and so I'm, I'm passing these complex JavaScript objects from Rust into Reason. And um, I became pretty frustrated with how hard it is to, to interact with um, complicated JavaScript objects. Right? There, there's the double pound um, that you can use to get stuff out. But there's no way to do an immutable update. Um, and... There's, well, I mean, there's also no way to do a mutable update, right? That, like you just, you can't interact with these unless you, you define a bunch of externals. By using object.magic or object.assign. Right, right. Which are bad. Um, yeah, object.assign gets rid of all type safety. Um, yes. Yeah, it destroys it. Anyway, uh, and to, to top it off, the, um, the types that, or the, the JavaScript objects that Rust produces, um, if you're using an enum, um, the attribute names are capitalized oh. which is invalid syntax oh. uh, for the double pound um and so i was um i made a ppx because that's what i do that's what jared does when i uh i'm struggling with something in reason and it does um deep immutable updates it um uses uh the the brackets and the string so like it looks like javascript object access um which allows you to have uppercase attribute names. Um, and so it's, it's similar to um, like you, you say my object and then, you know, 
foo bar baz dot replace and then you pass in the new value and then it transforms that into a a type safe wrapper around object out assign a bunch of times awesome um and it's such a breeze to use that's awesome so if you are using nested javascript objects and you want to retain your sanity um check it out that sounds great and uh, it is hard to retain your sanity with nested javascript objects yep Okay, our last announcement or thing we're excited about is a project that isn't complete yet, and it isn't by either of us. Right. Um, so in um, the Look What I Built room and the Reason Discord, which has a bunch of fun things in it, um, someone uh, named James with a Scottish-looking last name, uh, might be Macaulay. Macaulay. Or Macaulay. I don't know. Um has written Redoc Autogen, which takes uh, the Redoc documentation generator. And um, the, the goal is to generate documentation for every package um, that's on the Redux um, package index. So um, if you've been jealous of Elm's package index or Rust's package index um, that has automated documentation generation, uh, this might be in our future. Um, so go give pretty, him a high five. Pretty exciting. Or go throw dollars at him, maybe. Right. I don't know. Maybe that would make him do stuff. It could. Faster. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay, let's get to talking about the sore spots, the things we could, the, the things that are hard right now or that we wish were better and what we do about them. Yeah. Can I start out with um, the suggestions I made earlier about Reason Language Server? Go for it. Uh, one of the things that I found coming back from TypeScript was I felt like it was, even though the TypeScript compiler was slow, it was fast to write TypeScript, and that was because the uh, the autocomplete in the editor was really great. I could, it just knew what I was asking for a lot of the time. And when I started typing something, it would like find you know the module somewhere else and be like, "Want me to import this for you?" I'm like, "Great, yeah." I mean, right? We don't need to do that in Reason, um, but it it felt really nice. So, um, so we were talking about this earlier, Jared and I, and um, I kind of was saying that my my top wish list for things that could improve about Reason Language Server would be one, when you're typing a function, when you are literally hitting keys to type out a function and pass things to it, you start typing uh, you start typing the function by hitting the open paren, and the editor gives you help and says, these are the, the options that you can pass into the function, which is great. Right. But often I make some mistake and I hit escape or something, and it makes that helper go away before I've even completed the first param out of 10 or something like that. And... I want it to come back and there's no way to get it back without deleting everything and starting over again. So right. if that stuck around or it could be brought back easily, that would be super helpful. That was one wish wish list I had. And totally. so part of the reason I'm bringing these up is maybe there's someone listening who is interested in getting their hands dirty, who's willing to go look at the open source project for the Reason Language Server and dive in and make these things happen, right? Yeah. And and some of these things, they're, um, another autocomplete thing with Reason Language Server is you know, if if you're doing a fast pipe, um, you do minus greater than. It would be cool if um, you know it auto completed all of the functions that could perform on the um, the type of the value to the left. Um, That'd be huge. And that there are a bunch of little autocomplete things that could really um, tighten up the experience. And uh, some of them aren't very difficult. So if if you're interested in uh, making Murphy really happy. Yeah, um, or in making the community and making the more community productive. happy. Um, and um, feel free to reach out to me. I'd be happy to um, give you some mentorship, point you in the right direction. Um, you know, kind of walk you through the files 
so you can uh, contribute. And just to give that specific example some more uh, light for those who may not have understood the explanation, that would be, for example, like let's say I have an array of integers, right, and I want to map over them. So I type the name of my variable, my my binding to the array of integers, which is like Bob, right? And so I'm like Bob, and then I hit the fast pipe character, which is dash and then greater than. So it looks like an arrow. And then right then the editor would pop up suggestions for every function that I could use that takes an array as its first parameter right. or that I assume could take an array as as like the unnamed parameter or something right. since belt takes them in, in the last as well. Um, but point being, all of a sudden I would like there would be a bunch of modules and I could start to type the, the function name that I wanted and it would be like map. Oh, do you want map from belt? And I'd be like, yes. And I hit enter and then it would type belt dot map for me, you know, right. belt dot array dot map. And that would just be mind blowingly helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Those are examples of things. Actually, another that I didn't talk to you about that I thought of is when I'm trying to, when I'm trying to construct a record and I'm entering the fields, I often need to go reference the record definition. Right. It'd right, that really, would be so nice. That would be awesome. Yeah. If, if like a function, it could say like, here's the shape of the function you're trying to call. If it could say like, here's the record that you're trying to fill out. And totally. if it didn't know the record, that's actually often a problem I have with the type checker anyway, is that it doesn't know what record I'm constructing. Right. And I have to qualify the field name. Right. So I have to say like user dot name in the first field definition of the record. And then it knows that I'm building a user. So if it would be really helpful if the autocomplete could tell me like, I don't know what record you're trying to build. So I know that I need to qualify it and then right. boom, it tells me all the fields. Like, Totally. Those three things would probably make my development 300% faster. So people in the community, if you're interested, please um, yeah, 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 take this offer to, to dive in and, and get some hours in on contributing to an open source project. All right, that was, that was great. So that was one thing that we'd love to see improve. Now, mm -hmm. do you want to talk about native a little bit? Um, let's talk a little bit about, yeah. So native has seen, um, and by native, we mean, um, taking your reason code, turning it into, uh, essentially assembly, um, that, you know, a binary that can run, um, not through JavaScript. Um, there's been a lot of work, um, in the past year, two years on, um, the, the native side of reason where the easy package manager um, has uh, been a tremendous effort to um, make package management, um, again, not terrible uh, or, or not take tremendous amount of effort. There's, um, in the OCaml community, there's the OPAM package manager um, that um, maybe in part due to easy being built um, has picked up speed again and has, has made a lot of progress, but, um, but easy has a lock file and it has reproducible builds mm -hmm. and um, a lot of like really um, kind of good features that we are used to from the NPM world um, and taking a lot of inspiration from rust and, and other kind of native package managers. But easy doesn't yet give you, um, help with actually compiling your files. That's, That's right. Easy does not have a build system. It's just a package manager. And so the the build system for native OCaml is called Dune. Um, it used to be called JBuilder, and then they changed it. Um, Which I'm glad because JBuilder sounds like a Java project. Not that there's anything wrong with Java, but JBuilder sounds... It's confusing. Like Java. Um, 
And so Dune also is just within the past couple of years um, showing up. And um, they've done a tremendous amount of work um, and it's um, actually ga gained widespread adoption within the O'Camel community, which um, if you've been around the O'Camel community at all, uh, is hard to do um, to get widespread adoption because there are 11 different ways to do any given thing. Um, previously, there was um, O'Camel build, um, a whole lot of make files, um, Oasis, I think was another OCaml build. There was just, there were a bunch of different ones. Um, and now Dune has taken the world by storm. Um, ah, that just sounds <laughs> funny. Cause oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Sandstorm. Sandstorm. I like it. Um, and so Easy and Dune together are um, what I always pick for um, native development these days. Another project that you may have heard about is BSB Native, um, which was um, kind of coming out of the desire to have a single build system that would work for JavaScript and for native, right? You're making a library that you want to be consumable in multiple places. Um, and um, Ben uh, Sansouci and um, Avery Schmavery is his uh, Twitter handle. Um, they uh, were building reprocessing, which is this cool um, kind of game development slash art kind of um, graphical um, library that's that's inspired by processing. But it targets JavaScript with WebGL and native with, um, you know, OpenGL. OpenGL. Um, and also that's what I use to make the, the games on native Android and iOS. Um, and in order to make that happen, they needed a build system that could do JavaScript with BuckleScript and native. Um, and currently, that's the only way to do um, BuckleScript and native at the same time. Um, if, you're, if you want to use JS of OCaml, um, that'll work with Dune. But BuckleScript won't work, work with Dune. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where we're at. So let's talk about that for a second, because this dovetails right into my problem with native, which is... The documentation just around like what does this mean even um, if you're coming to the project if you're coming to to reason from javascript you would need to understand that reason is a syntax ocaml is a language and a compiler buckle script is a backend for ocaml that goes to javascript then there's the c backend for ocaml that goes to assembly then there's also uh, you can you can compile OCaml into bytecode, which is not assembly, but can run on the OCaml VM. And uh, so this is all, there are many options here, and it's it can be quite confusing. So I was actually asking these questions on Discord yesterday, I think, and those who know were telling me, were kind of trying to fill me in on the answers, and I was saying, well, should I use um, BSB native because I know buckle script and then can I do JavaScript stuff in, in native? And they were like, well, no, you, the JS namespace is just for JS. And I'm like, then why would I use buckle script for native? Like it, it just didn't make any sense to me and, and still doesn't. Um, so they said basically like, just don't use BSB native unless you're using reprocessing and just use Dune otherwise and like keep them separate. So I still don't really know the story there, but um, yeah. um, I guess that's maybe advice for people who are coming to the native story is unless you know you need VSB native, maybe you don't um, because I still don't know what it means to try to use buckle script on native if you're not using JavaScript, right? Um, right, yeah. So um, I, maybe I could answer yeah, this question in, in real time. Um, 
So B BSB native is a build system. Um, uh, like as an alternative to Dune, you wouldn't use it. That's with right. Dune. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, and the it's it's called BSB native because BSB is BuckleScript's build system. Okay. Yes. Right. So, kind of adding to the complexity, BuckleScript has a build system and is a compiler as well. And the build system has to do with where you put your files and like what your config files are and uh, what drives the extensions and the flags. And so like th there's all this stuff uh, besides compiling that your build system is doing, right? Right, right. Okay. Webpack is a build system. Okay. Um, and Babel is kind of the compiler. Okay. If, if we want to use JavaScript right. nomenclature here. And you're saying the buckle script, the normal buckle script we all use, has both the build system and the compiler where right. you have your bsconfig.json, your code fragments are put in your source folder and you can say where they go and then like it has options for JSX and things that are built in. Right. Okay. Um, and so let's say there's a... Um, Webpack uses Babel to turn JavaScript into more JavaScript, right? Um, if there was an alternative to Babel that turned JavaScript into C, um, that uh, now clearly Webpack is very flexible and can do all of that already, right? It, it can use Babel, it can use whatever else. Um, BSB only uses BuckleScript. Um, BSB native is an attempt to say, okay, let's have BSB either use BuckleScript or use OCamelC. I see. Um, and so you write code that doesn't use anything too native-specific and doesn't use anything too JavaScript-specific so that it could technically compile to either target. So if you're using an abstract enough library or you're writing code that's abstract enough that doesn't use the JS namespace and doesn't use any OCaml namespaces, you could compile both artifacts. Right. Okay. Um, and so you need to be using libraries that also support both. So reprocessing has some code that's, you know, behind a special flag saying only use this in JavaScript or this in native. I see. Um, and to, to get even more exciting, use it this in Mac OS native, use this in Windows native, use this Ooh. in, you know, iOS native. Wow, they did a lot of work. Uh, yeah, it's a tremendous amount of work. Um, and and so that's, that's kind of, BSB native is how do we get cross compilation working um, because Dune does not have a very good cross-compilation story. BuckleScript, of course, only targets JavaScript. JavaScript. Um, and so I I think of BSB Native as um, an exploration, an ex like experimentation um, that has allowed a lot of really cool things. Um, and um, I think it's, it's possible that Dune will get to the full cross-compilation story sooner um but certainly the um the bulk of the native compilation community is with dune and so the um there'll be much better documentation and support from libraries for it so if you want to do stuff that doesn't use javascript libraries and you wanted to run fast and you run it compile it down to assembly code use dune and easy and you can write reason and you can write but but you're going to use the ocaml world you're going to use request libraries from either OPAM or from NPM that somebody has written and published using right. easy. Um, but you're not going to use Axios from, you know, for your quest library. This isn't a place where you can take JavaScript and compile it down to assembly. That's right. Um, but it is a place where you could take 
reason in compile it to assembly if it's not using JavaScript specific stuff, right? Exactly. But if you're going to do stuff on the front end, it's also not a place where you can take some like OpenGL library that's available on the system and then have the compiler magically compile it down to like uh, Wasm. Wasm, <laughs> right, right, and run. This is just, these are just tools that turn your reason syntax into the target language. Yep. So if you're going to use do JavaScript, use BuckleScript, and if you're going to do native, use the native tools right now. That's what we'd say, right? That's right. Okay, cool. So yes, we wish the story were clearer around that, and we just cleared it up a little. Hopefully. <laughs> um, another thing that um, that comes up a lot is async await. Oh, this is a big one. Um, and we've talked about async await on here a number of times. Um, I remember probably about eight months ago, um, we were talking about async await, and you said, how long until we get it in the language? And I said, oh, not more than a month. Yeah, I think you were like, a couple weeks. We're yeah, here. yeah. We're there. Um, I'm almost there. I um, I got burnt out a little bit um, and didn't bring it over the finish line. Um, and this this kind of brings us to one thing that, um, that can be frustrating about reason, um, but is, is not singular to reason, it's kind of common to a lot of um, open source projects, is there's not, um, there's not a super well-defined roadmap. Um, there's not a steering committee. There's, there's, there's not a lot of the kind of organizational things that you'd find um, in, in some of the, the outlier projects, frankly, like Rust, um, that, you know, has a bunch of people employed just to work on Rust and to, um, and frankly, some really, uh, incredible community leaders in that community that have, um, made a really clear process for how things are developed in reason. Um, you know, it, it started as almost a side project of Jordan's and then more people got involved and, um, you know, it's, it's mostly developed through volunteer labor, um, and so the, um, if you're, if you're wondering, oh, why hasn't reason done X yet? It's probably because no one has had time for it. No, or no one has had that as their passion project. Or, or had the need so badly that their employer would pay them to do it. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, kind of, um, with, with a lot of things, if, uh, if someone hasn't really been using that feature or that part um, or that paradigm, um, it's not going to happen. So that's what's happened to the async await. Um, and if you'll, if you're paying attention, you'll notice that Chang Lu in his recent keynote for ReasonConf in Austria, uh, said regarding the async await story, because people have been talking about it a lot. He said, our answer is we're not going to think about it right now <laughs> because he said it's no, nobody's agreed really on a single topic and then basically he actually kind of said like we're not really using it that much at facebook so like we don't use promises that much and so we don't think it's that important and so we're we're kicking we're punting on the idea um which was hard for me to hear because i use promises constantly on the server side and i feel like much javascript code uses promises constantly in the way that that uh I don't know. Maybe the way they've structured the applications of Facebook, maybe they're able to avoid that. But um, but we are constantly using libraries that deal with promises and constantly working with them ourselves. Yeah. And uh, even a, an even bigger deal, I think, is that the JavaScript community has been trying to teach people about promises for 
the last five years, like so, so trying so hard. And, right. And then they put a lot of really valuable work into the async await syntax in ES6 uh, or ES2020 or whatever it is. I don't know. Right. And, uh, and I think many or, or most new JavaScript developers who don't even know what a monad is or, you know, they're, they're just learning JavaScript have been able to understand what an async function is right. and what it means to await a value. Like it's become that simple, right? Yeah. Teaching that same person that this is a value that's, uh, that has a map function and that's a container and that you can map over it and have a callback. Like that's just not quite as clear. Um, and some people will yell back and say, you're pandering to the, to the beginners. And I'm saying, I think beginners are important. And I think that our brains could all use a little less uh, noise as well. So that's just my own opinion. But point being, um, I the, yeah, I, sorry, I really digressed. The point being that it it has been an express goal of the Reason community to be friendly to JavaScript developers. And JavaScript developers in today's age, async await is a huge deal for them. Um, yeah. To, to use and to understand. So it's my opinion that this is something the language sorely lacks at this point, which leads into the promise support in the language. Maybe we should talk about that too. Right. Um, so promises, there is basically just what um, JavaScript provides. There is a, um, there's a reason function for it. Um, so promise.then, promise.catch, promise.all, that's kind of it. That's pretty much it. And working with exceptions thrown is is a big pain as well. JavaScript right. exceptions, um, because in um, you know it's it's definitely because promises are not type safe. Yes. Um, you can throw anything and catch it. Um, you can throw a string. It doesn't have to be an error. Um, you could throw your domain value and catch it and use it in some obscene way. You can throw an OCaml exception. Right. Yeah. You can throw an OCaml exception and. Um, then completely bork everything. But you can actually do that in your OCaml language too. You can throw anything in. Well, you could throw an OCaml exception at any time. Right. Uh, you, yes. you, you have to define it as an exception. True. Right. Um, fr from a type's perspective. Yeah. Um, anyway, so also the fact that promises auto-unwrap themselves. Um, so you, there's no way to tell in code whether this is a doubly wrapped promise or a singly wrapped promise. It just unwraps itself and you get the value. Let's make that really clear because I think that's why a lot of new people don't understand why promises are, as as are talked about in the community, unsound, if you'll hear that between quotes. They're unsound, which means that the type system that OCaml has cannot represent t uh, promises honestly in all cases. Right. There are, there are you could very easily enter a case where the type system for OCaml says you have a promise of a promise of an integer and in reality you do not. You have a promise of an integer that's not nested, right? And because right. there's this auto unwrapping thing. So the type system cannot uh, represent that. So they are unsound. Um, now, my argument against that is that promises are the tools that we have. It's throughout the whole community. Even if they are unsound, I have never once in my life ended up wanting a promise of a promise of something in a type system. So my answer to that has been I've written my own promise utility library to make promises very easy to work with. And I know that if I ever have a promise of a promise in my type signature that that's bad. Like I do not right, want that error. code. Yeah, right. that is an error. That will be a runtime error. So personally, I'm 100% okay with them not being sound in that particular case because I know when it's I know when it is, 
And I know that I never, ever want that in my code either. Um, right. Pro if I were doing that, that would be a, a massive code smell. Um, mm -hmm. So that's my answer to that criticism. Now, I think there are people who will say, but do not bring it into the language because then it breaks, it compromises the trust trustability of the type system. I can understand that too. Right. Um, but let's let's talk about what um, what we're doing with promises. Yes. These days, yes. right? Um, it's it's not entirely bleak. Um, you can have something like an async await um, syntax in yes, your code. You can because of Jared Forsyth with his PPXs. Right. When I have a problem, I write a PPX. That's just what I do. And it's been great because Jared, you wrote a PPX a year and a half ago or something. Now. Yeah. Something like that. Um, PPX let it's called or let anything, let anything. Cause PPX let is a, is a PPX from Jane street for native OCaml things. Right. right. Um, and sometimes we should talk, sometimes we should talk about PPXs cause there's a lot to learn. Right. We should. Too. Cause like I had the question, why can't I use a PPX in buckle script? And we'll say the answer for another time. Yeah. Um, like a, an, like a Jane street PPX. Anyway, oh, right. So Jared wrote this amazing PPX, which, actually lets you use basically an async await syntax mm -hmm. in your current OCaml or in your current reason code. We've right. been using it heavily. I mean, we probably have thousands of calls using your PPX and it's been huge for us. Awesome. Um, I don't know that we need to go into detail about how it works, but um, people can look into that. It's very, very easy to define a module that works with the PPX and, and to use it. And literally all it does, you want to explain what it does? Yeah, so um, if you imagine the uh, the async await transform, um, if you've seen, you know, if you do let x equals await y in JavaScript, um, that turns it into, like, under the covers, there's a promise dot then that happens, right? Um, you know, y dot then, and then... Sort of. The... Depends on your implementation, but right. yes. Basically... Um, you, you can think of it as, as a promise transform. It gets a lot more complicated if you have loops and other control structures. Um, but what let anything does is um, exactly that transform. So you um, the, um, the sigil for it is next to the let. So it's let percent and then async, for example, x equals y. And that turns it into an async dot um, then essentially of y and then it'll call a function with the parameter bound to x. Um, you, you can look it up. The, uh, the repository will link to it. It has um, a readme that's easier than trying to describe syntax. Yes, but if I were going to implement a module for that library, I would make a module called async in your example mm -hmm. with an up, uppercase A, and then I would define a function in it just called let underscore, and it would be essentially a map function or a flat map function yep. for a promise or for some other monad, and then you'd be good. It's golden. You can make it do whatever you want. I, I use let anything a lot for optional unwrapping. Mm. Um, if you miss, um, you know, Swift's if let or guard let, um, you can do similar things. Um, so working with results, working with promises, working with optionals. You can even make your own module that combines the two. So if you yeah. often are unwrapping options inside of promises and you want to fail the promise, if the option isn't there, you can do like a, uh, like a promise option. Yeah. So you can like a let percent prom opt. And then you um, know that yeah. the promise is going to fail if you, if you try to unwrap a promise that isn't there. That's right. Or an option rather. It's really flexible and very impressive. So that's a huge help. I do have a little, uh, a little thing that I'm bummed about 
um, that I want to talk about too, because ES6 promises are, they do not support long stack traces, um, which may not be a huge issue if you're writing all front end apps in the browser, but on the server, if you just get an error thrown in your server logs that says like your decoding failed, that is extremely unhelpful, or especially right. from the database, right? Good luck. You get an error from the database, and it's just like, okay, which endpoint did this come from? Which of, you know, okay, so like, even if I knew that it came from my user, my user store module, when? Like, there are a thousand things that use it, right? So um, those long stack traces are very important. And uh, so earlier you mentioned that I had talked about my, my like, error handling approach. I, I ended up like basically trying to re-implement long stack traces at the type level. Right. And then I realized that I almost never want to actually use those at the type level. Okay. And I was like, well, this is why exceptions exist. And this is actually the idea behind exceptions. Right. And, and then I was like, wow, I just reinvented exceptions. So I stripped out all that code and I ended okay. up, that's where I ended up deleting like 3.8 thousand lines of code, adding back in like 1.2 thousand uh, and it cleaned stuff up incredibly okay because i just started instead of using my own promise abstraction that wrap promises and like kept a stack trace and stuff like that i just use promises okay but the thing that was disappointing is that es6 promises don't give me that information um node 11 added a function that gives you long stack traces okay for free and i was so excited and i tried it out and it didn't work because it doesn't work for promises it only works for async await Literally, the function oh, wow. syntax async await. They some they did an engineering trick. There's a blog article about it that oh. gets them long stack traces for free, almost like almost no performance cost. Long stack traces with async await. That fun that fun like that the syntax. Right. So async await in the background used to be promises. Like you can await promises, but I think the actual function, the actual there's some more bookkeeping involved. It, yeah, they do some more stuff there. Oh. Um, so they can give you long stack traces. So that destroyed my hopes and wow. dreams until I just swapped out my promise implementation for Bluebird, which supports long stack traces. Okay. Um, it's it's like, what they say? If you turn it on, it's like eight times slower than without having it on. Okay. So they say don't turn it on. Like It's off by default in production, but it's just if you enable an environment variable, you can get them again. So if, you, okay. if you're starting to see a, a, an unexpected error show up in your logs, turn on the long stack traces for a bit, find the error, turn them off. Totally okay. acceptable for me, pragmatic. That's cool. It would be nice if there were some language construct in Reason that actually compiled to async calls right. in JavaScript because then I could take advantage of Node stuff. But like you were saying before, nobody's championing that because I'm the only one that's doing, that I know of, that's writing Node servers um, in Reason. But this is a pretty good example, a uh, pretty good solution for now. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's cool. And with with the Bluebird performance, I do. I wonder. Uh, it, I'd be interested to know if you did some profiling on your servers, um, with with the performance hit on, because um, just in in so many cases, it's like your um, your tight loop is not going to be bluebird right um you know but i mean it, it, it might be if you've got a million promises in the air at once which i don't um yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that's what's funny to me about performance is i'm like 
I'm mostly just waiting on network calls. Right, anyway, right. Like that's yeah. <laughs> that's my bottleneck. And but but then libraries compete on performance, and they're like, oh, you know, we benchmarked yes. our promises against your promises, and they're like, we had to cut corners, and we we're we're like five microseconds faster, which is like a thousand percent, you exactly. know, or, or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and that doesn't mean it's not important, like you said. But to to be honest, we are not at a point where we need to profile because right. things are fast enough. You yeah. Know? So yeah. Good enough solution. Um, so there's, if you're feeling the async pain, um, there's some stuff you can do right now. Use mm -hmm. use ace, or use let anything the PPX. You can use if you're doing service head stuff. Use another promise implementation that gives you long stack traces. Um, sorry, I keep talking quietly tonight. Woo! But to a quick mention of what could be coming down the pipe. OCaml the language did recently merge in support in OCaml version four point zero eight one four point zero point eight one or something like that something like that for syntax that does basically what your ppx does except right. the module that it's looking for has to be open so right. in that case they do let plus or let star i think those are the only two maybe there was one i other. think so yeah and they did that for like map and flat map or like basically bind and right. one other or something like that and that will implicitly look for in the open module a function called a specific name and and swap it in as a callback. So it does basically just what your PPX yeah, does. Yeah. I did dig in to find out if if that was coming because people are asking, can we get this in Buckle Script? And uh, Bob said, like, hey, well, there's some interesting stuff in in that version of the compiler. So maybe we'll see about targeting that sooner rather than later in the next couple of months. Right. But I did learn that that's not the only thing that has to happen. Uh, the compiler can have support for it. But BuckleScript would have to be able to actually down, compile it down to a useful construct. So that's one thing that would have to change. And then, um, according to the research I was doing, and then Interesting. Refumped, which is the actual parser that right. that Buckle that Reason uses, um, it also does not support that syntax. Right. So Refumped can be compatible with the new OCaml without supporting all the features. Right. So refump would have to be upgraded to recognize the nodes and do something useful with them instead of discarding them. And then BuckleScript would also have to target a new version of the compiler and do something useful with that output. So there's still a lot of work that has to be done, even though OCaml supports it. Right. So that's kind of the future of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've probably complained enough for one night. Um, <laughs> yeah, we have quite a bit, huh? <laughs> um but there's, um, you know, there, there's lots of work to do, but lots of fun things happening. So let's talk about um, not just complaining, but what can we do? Right. Um, what can the community do? I'm already busy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, this is, um, like I was saying, this is, uh, Reason is a project um, built by people who are passionate about it. Um, and... Um, in in many cases, the the people who are stewarding the various projects um, would be happy to give you a point in the right direction um, and give you some mentorship so that you can become a full contributor um, and realize some of these uh, potential things um, and make them reality. Um, so, if if you want to to dig into um, the reason parser and you want to champion a syntax change um then that that's one direction you can go if you want to help with the reason language server i'd be happy to um hold your hand and help you get started with it 
um, if you want to write up a blog post that just describes your vision so other people can comment on it and have a discussion um, so that it can eventually coalesce into a decision, um, that's another great way to get involved. As someone who hasn't been involved in actually making contributions to core uh, or pushing language features, uh, that's good to hear you hear, hear you say because to me it's this amorphous thing that's like, how could I ever have an impact on on the language community? But from what you're saying, it sounds like blog posts can be influential. Yeah, GitHub issues that are more than just this is broken can be right. influential. If you've if you've thought out an argument well and you have a proposal for what could be really nice that sounds like that could make a difference it totally can especially if you're willing to get in and write a ppx right to to show your experiment yeah which yeah the the argument for for async await is a lot stronger now i a year after um i was um getting really involved because i wrote let anything and people have been using it for a year yeah like us and now we're saying like if if let anything went away that would be a, a high cost to our company Right you know, at this point, so yeah. um, so that's significant to us to want to continue pushing forward. Mm -hmm. And as I've said, I'm using this. Other people on Discord have said, "Oh, I'm using this heavily as well." It'd be interesting to know if you have stats on that. You know about if npm lets you know how many people downloaded a day or whatever it is. Right? Yeah, it probably does. I could check that out. It's hard. I think it's hard to dedupe that and know like how many unique projects are using it. Sure, that could be interesting to add. That's a rough count to the issue. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. If you, are, if you are listening and feel fired up by what we've been talking about, please, uh, we'd love to have you as part of the, the contributors. Yeah. I say as an outsider. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so this, this was a little bit of gripes, a little bit of grievances. Um, but uh, you, um, there's, there's a quote that I'm not, not going to be able to come up with, but it's something like, um, if you don't have a list of five things you hate about a language you don't know it well enough. Oh, that's an interesting <laughs> quote. I like that. Um, yeah. The the best champions for something are often the ones who know its flaws. And you feel grumpy about something enough to change it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But we love it. We love the language. And we're glad you're listening. Thank you for sticking with us for the whole show. Yeah. And it's it's a fantastic community. Uh, keep making it awesome. And uh, if, if you're interested in helping out the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Thank you very much. Or wherever, or post it on Twitter, or just, you know, come right on our sidewalks in chalk. There you go. Tell your friends. Our houses. Yeah, oh. oh, that's better. Tell your friends. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. All right. Thanks, everybody. Until next time. Okay. Boop-a-doop-boop-boop.